Please pray with me. O God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. We pray that today, O God, we would be open to your word. The word that comes to us in flesh and the person of Jesus that comes to us in spirit and that comes to us in the bread and the cup. Living God, we give ourselves to you today. Open our minds and hearts that we might hear you. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. When my daughter Sarah was ready to go to college, she was all packed up and we had our scholarships in place. We had the budget and we were ready. My son Matthew was a sophomore and he had heard us talking about all the things that we needed and the money that we spend on dorm items and, and tuition and books and all. He took me aside one day and he said, you know, I think that if you and dad just wanted to give me the money that you owe me, I could probably save you a little bit of money. And we were very surprised at what he was saying. We said, what is it? What money do we owe you? And he said, well, you know, you're going to give me the same amount of money that you spent on Sarah to go to college and that you spent on her to, you know, do the dorm room and everything. And I'll just take the money and you know, maybe I don't want to go to college. And my husband and I just looked at him with a very perplexed look on our face. And I thought, this is, this is the best example of someone missing the point. Needless to say, Matt did go to college and he didn't get his money ahead of time. It is an example of missing the point, though, and I think that probably all of us agree that we have at one time or another said to somebody, You're missing the point. There seems to be a lot of missing the point going on today. I think that instead of listening carefully to what each other has to say, we stand ready to defend our position more now than ever. That instead of receiving another's hurt or as a pain to be soothed and comforted, we we are defensive. We invalidate the hurt as non-existent or somehow deserved. And instead of the gospel of Christ being a message of compassion and equality and delivery, we build walls with it and turn it into a weapon to defend our opinion. We also forget the heart of the gospel, which is to love God and to love your neighbor. We forget it because it's inconvenient to apply to everyone in every circumstance. We say to ourselves that God couldn't possibly have meant all people at all times. The scriptures are full of people missing the point. God is creator in the, in the ancient stories in Genesis. God is creator and walks in the garden, and yet Adam and Eve hide from him, missing the point. God asked Cain, where is your brother? And, and Cain is defensive and says, am I my brother's keeper? Miss the point. The people say, isn't this Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's son? What good thing can come out of Nazareth? Missing the point. If you are who, who they say you are, come down off that cross, shout the people. Man, did they miss the point. 
But Romans 14 is just such a scripture. We see the infant church engaged in practices, and in this particular sense, their practices revolve around what to eat and not to eat, how to be the very best Christian or how not to be the very best Christian, how you should do it, the form. But they are truly exercises in missing the point. And what Paul's fear is that they are disrupting the unity of the community. They're trading in the love and freedom of the gospel for the chance to be king of the Christian hill. Who's the best Christian? To be insiders by making other people outsiders. They hoard the good news from those who think or act differently in their faith. And once more, we are absolutely amazed at how contemporary, how contemporary the words of scripture are to us. They speak to us about today, about who we are in this moment, in our timeline. Romans 14, 1 through 9, reading from the message. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong in opinions, but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, Wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy and another thinks that each day is pretty much like any other. There are good reasons either way. So each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. And then we come to this particular section of the passage. It's very important. It's the key and the heart of this passage. What's important in all this is that if you keep a day holy, keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it to the glory of God and thank God for prime rib. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for broccoli. None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God we are answerable to all the way from life to death and everything in between, not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again so that he could be our master across the range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this section, Paul turns to a discussion of the dangers posed by the unity within the Christian church by different conceptions of the proper response to the gospel of Christ. 
Paul frames his discussions in terms of weak and strong, which sometimes makes us think right and wrong, but be very careful about that. Weak and strong in Paul's definition are not right and wrong. Paul thinks of of strong believer is a trust in God's grace in Jesus Christ that doesn't depend on particular practices for its expression. We are not strong because of our traditions of our church or membership. Strength is not defined by how much Bible we know or how much we contribute to the congregation. Our strength lies in understanding that the integrity with which we live our lives is tied directly to how our beliefs guide our actions. In other words, does our living and our actions and our beliefs align and reflect the love of God? Do we love and honor God by our lives? Do we love others? Are we caring? Do we seek justice? Do we defend the poor? Those are the measurements. Are we tender and kind when living out our faith? And ironically, the very same question can be posed to those who are considered by Paul weak. In Paul's definition, it's those who are tied to human rules, traditions, and doctrine as the ultimate expression of their faith. And those who find that their ultimate expression is the right expression. And they judge the faithfulness of others by the same standard. Should is a very popular word among Paul's weak. But Paul assures them that they, just as the strong, must remember that all the rules and regulations and all the doctrines that they adhere to are made irrelevant if they don't love. Do we love and honor God by our lives? Do we love others? Are we caring? Do we seek justice? Do we defend the poor? Are we tender and kind when living out our faith for those who live in freedom and for those who live by rules? The same, the same caliber of, of collaboration, the same level of, of demonstration of God's love for us is mandatory. If you trust in God, basically, Paul is saying, if you trust in God, in God's grace, you're free to be a vegetarian or to buy a T-bone, to worship together on Saturday or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday in the a.m. and the p.m. any day of the week. You can have communion once a week, once a quarter, every day. You can baptize by sprinkling or dunking and a thousand other rules that we've made up. What you are not free to do, whether you are strong or weak, is lorded over your fellow believers whose practices are quite different from yours. What Paul does not want and sees as a hindrance to the mission of Christ is any friction between the weak and the strong. And the term he uses to encourage the right relationship is a simple imperative, welcome. The strong are to welcome the weak and the weak are to welcome the strong because God has welcomed all of us. And it's very important, as I said earlier, to pay attention to the way Paul addresses the issue. 
Paul does not condemn or take sides. Paul attempts to mediate the situation. His concern is to prevent the sides from becoming so polarized that they no longer respect each other. Does that sound familiar? Do we live in a time where we are so polarized in our opinion that we can no longer respect each other? Paul acknowledges, he says straight out that devout people can hold radically different convictions and still be good and faithful people. People who think differently than you are not less. They're not less spiritual. They're not less devoted or committed, God-loving. Paul is helping persons in early Christian community and helping us to resist demonizing each other by teaching them to respectfully disagree. Something that's so sorely missing from our conversation today. We're not enemies as human beings. We're children of God, and God has called us to be respectful to each other, even when we disagree. And then Paul goes on to suggest even more than that. If Christ is Lord of both the dead and the living, if in his death and resurrection he's broken down the barrier between those who live and and those who die, then surely he can do what is easier. He can be Lord of both the weak and the strong, those who abstain and those who indulge, those who need rules for comfort and those who feel more freedom of interpretation. God of all. And then, and then Paul's claim reaches its climax. He says, if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. That he might be Lord of both the dead and the living, the weak and the strong. The Lordship of Christ extends to all people, all people. Paul is not negating political or doctrinal or moral realities. Not at all. What he is negating is that such judgments that come from a political doctrine or moral realities, that these judgments are the final word, that they are the ultimate word. He reminds us that they are not the ultimate word, that first and last we stand not because we're in the right, but because by grace we belong to God. First and last, we argue for the right and we struggle for the good, but not for our sakes or our opinions or our identity. Those simply come as the generous abundance of God. We don't even argue for these things for the sake of the church or justice, or the good, but because we are moved by love and concern for every particular other. That kind of love can only come from one place. It comes from a place which we say, in life and death, we belong to God, and that love is that abundance pouring out, overpouring, over the sides and the cups that we hold within each of us. 
We are, we're all trying to work out our way through these turbulent times. All of us. We're trying to make sense out of senseless acts and we're trying to navigate through crisis after crisis. We're often sapped of our emotional bandwidth and we're hanging on by a thread to our tempers and our tears. So the scriptures, particularly the scriptures like today, provide for us even more than ever a navigating tool. It's not a compass to help us skirt the storms or to bypass the hardships of the journey that we're on. But it is a guide that will always point to our true north as Christians. It points towards God's deep love for every human being on earth. And that love is made flesh by Jesus Christ. So let's love. We can do it because God has equipped us to do it. Let's love all of God's children with the same ferocious love God has for us. And let our love be sealed in a commitment to look out for one another, for each other's best interest, and for one another's worth. Regardless of any differences we might think are so important. And to all of things, all things, be the glory of God and honor and praise to God. Amen.